is great to see you. Welcome to all of our campuses, all seven this weekend. Uh, God has already been moving. People have been saved. It's been an amazing deal. God Behind Bars, welcome. Matter of fact, we'll be doing the Lord's Supper the first time at our God Behind Bars campus, so we're really excited about that. Excited. Three days till our first Easter service, 35 services in nine locations. Man, come on. Wow. Mike and I were on the Halloran Hilton Hill radio show Thursday evening, and some of you guys heard it, and I said, nine locations, 35 services, and Halloran looked at me and said, what does that even mean? I said, we don't know, but we're doing it. You know, we don't, it's just what we do, and, and, uh, and so it was a great time. Halloran's a great friend, he and Chris Marion, and just getting the word out to people that are far from God of what's going on. Pray this week for the heavenly rescue, because the movie's about a rescue attempt, and Easter is all about a rescue attempt. So we begin this week, our greatest harvest week, tomorrow of the year. So pray with us. Uh, I'm praying for 1,000 people to be saved, 500 people to be baptized, and 17,000 people in 35 services. Anybody with me on that? So that's what we're believing God for. Many of our campuses, the students will lead the charge. Student pastor said last year, Pastor Zach, give us the first shot. So the first service will be Wednesday at many of our campuses, Thursday at some others, Friday at some others, Saturday at many of them, Sunday morning at all of them except God Behind Bars, and Sunday night will be at two different movie theaters, five different showings. And man, I am so excited about what God is up to. Amen? So take a look at this, just a snippet of what it's going to be like. Hello? Are you there? You have to wake up. Rick, I know what you're thinking. You come back to me. Let's go. You getting lost isn't gonna help anybody. Listen to me. What if it was Rick out there? What would you do? They're both out there now. It's just gonna get darker and colder. Rick, keep moving. impactful gospel presentation we have ever done. So you want to do whatever it takes, get your family and friends. It is going to be unbelievable. Now, about 1,500 to 2,000 of y'all were gone last weekend on vacation, spring break. Thrilled to have you back, by the way. It's okay. I'm not hardly mad at all. And so, uh, <laughs> but we're glad to have you back. So we're going to do what we did last weekend that we've never done before. We're going to do again. We invited, we invited hundreds of thousands of people to Easter during the service, so pull your phone out, your iPad, your smartphone, your Samsung, your Android, whatever you have, and Micah, show us how that we're about to invite 100,000 people to Easter. We built a mini site that's only for invitational purposes, and it's FBEaster.com. It's tagged to our 
our main site, which is faithpromise.org. So if you go to fpeaster.com, this will come up, which is the trailer you just watched. So you can just copy and paste that link and send it to anybody you'd like. And all of the, our information is on there. So if you scroll down a little bit, share on Facebook and share on Twitter. It's an easy thing. Or, which is even better at times, do it through the app. Just use the faith, Facebook app. Search for Faith Promise and then like and share it. that trailer. I have it. You got it. You don't realize so, how big of a deal it is for him to get so it. I got it. I got it. It's, it's Last <laughs> weekend, I never got past Safari, and so I have it. For those of you technological pterodactyls, we're sticking together. Amen. Right. Come on. Yeah. Come on. Okay. So, so. for everyone else, uh, if you just keep scrolling down uh, with your finger on this magical device, um, <laughs> you'll find all of our times. So Pellissippi times, our times, and at the bottom, a lot of people have been asking, at the bottom here, you're going to find our uh, theater showing. So we're at Pinnacle Turkey Creek, 537, 815, and Carmike. Okay, I'm not supposed to be get text. Sorry, <laughs> ignore that. <laughs> um, so yeah, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> that's my brother. <laughs> He's in there as the fattest man alive. So I'm not sure why that's <laughs> happening. Just in. So yes, go to epiheaster.com. That's all the information. I'm gonna leave now. Is okay. that cool? If something happened. I miss. <laughs> Nothing happened. Just wait a minute. I'm about to get Facebook. No, yeah, no, you're good. It's good. All right. Okay. Awesome. Okay. Thank you. Give me a hand, y'all. Come on. There we go. <clears throat> so it's it, nothing can, you know, some of you guys, y'all know, y'all know anger. Techno technology, it gets the anger sharks, man. They swim. And so there are many times I'll roll the window down Michelle and say, please do not throw your iPhone out the window. You know, or, or the GPS, please don't throw it out. I'll say it's from hell, it's demonic, and so it's terrible. To, so, but we're going to use technology for Jesus, amen? All right, so now let me, let me just sort of load right in. We're early, but we're going to do the Lord's Supper and worship at the end. So I know the message is early, and, uh, but that always keeps you on your toes. So here's the deal. Last weekend was probably... Probably the most brokenhearted I've ever been preaching a message at Faith Promise Church. And, and I tell you what, not because 1,500 people are on swing break. I'm glad you got to go on vacation. You need a vacation. If you can afford a vacation, man, I encourage you to take it, get online, stay with us, but that's not it. I've been preaching for 34 years. I have never had more people get up and walk out on a sermon in my entire life than got up and walked out last weekend. Matter of fact, I had multiple people walk up to me and say, hey, uh, what was going on last weekend that all those people got up and left? And I said, well, I was preaching on hell, and they didn't like it, and so they left. Now, <clears throat> you know, I act big and bad all the time. Like, I don't care what anybody thinks, and frankly, scarred it, looking here, and all that kind of stuff. But anybody, everybody cares what people think, Right? But, but it wasn't about me. It wasn't that people got up and walked out because none of this is about Chris. I've grown to that point that I don't take stuff personally. But what broke my heart was how many people are, are, are angry about the topic of hell and will get up and walk out and miss half the Bible. Are you with me? Because I'm going to be honest with you. Since I started working on these, these messages on hell, I have shared my faith more in the last two weeks, I'm ashamed to say, than I have in the last year. Now, what I used to say was, well, I live at church. My family's saved, and I, I live at church, so I don't, I don't meet anybody. I don't ever, I've got to find a way. But as I start to work on this hell, do you know what I've noticed? There are lost people all around me. 
They're, they're just everywhere around. From that Muslim guy uh, a week ago in England in the cab to every day, everywhere, I'm running to people. I'm getting to talk to people every single day because I'm working on this. Now, I understand that hell is never going to be a chart-topping topic. And people don't like it. And this is the deal. I'm, I'm, let me be honest with you. I want you to get this. The 21st century church has developed what I call the ostrich mentality. They have stuck their head in the sand when it comes to hell and judgment. And they said, I hope it's not true. I'm not sure if it's true, but I'm going to ignore it and maybe it will go away. It, it doesn't work that way. But some of you grew up in church and some of you are my age, 55 or older. When you were kids that go to church, nobody got to do anything at church until they were 40. Y'all remember that? I mean, you didn't get a voice, you were 40 because you were just a kid. And Faith Promise, we have cleaned off a spot for middle schoolers, high schoolers, for young adults to serve at every level, man, everywhere. And, and so what we are doing is we're passing the gospel baton to the next generation. Amen? Now, most churches, most great churches are a single generation church. They rise up, they reach their generation, and then they die. Most of the churches that you grew up in are dead or dying. Because, see, they were a single generation. We've said, now, we want to reach a down and another generation. And the deal is, we've got to pass a whole gospel baton, not a part of a gospel baton. Are you with me? So, see, we can't pass a heaven down without a hell. And we're going we're gonna to pass not part of a Bible that we like, but we're going to pass a whole Bible to the next generation. The Bible says that, that you study the whole counsel of the Word of God, not just the parts we like. Does that make sense? That's why we do a Bible reading plan, so you read the whole Bible through every single year. So this is the deal. We won't ignore. It is politically incorrect to talk about hell or judgment, Right? It is, and so, so what the church has done is the church has let the culture, the culture which is driven by the demonic, literally, that's what Jesus taught us, that Satan is the little G-O-D of this world. <clears throat> this culture is set against God, so we've let the culture tell the church, don't talk about hell. But this is the truth. There are 268 chapters in the New Testament. Are you with me? 234 of those chapters warn of, of judgment and hell. 234 out of 268. And yet what we've said is, let's don't talk about hell. If you take judgment out, how much of the Bible did you just throw away? Are you with me? There are 10 times more references to hell than there are to heaven in the Bible. So, hell is so horrible, so horrific, so devastating that God sent his only begotten son to be crucified on a cross to pay the penalty for our sins so we could miss hell and gain heaven. Amen? See, that's what Easter's all about. It's Palm Sunday. Jesus rides in victorious into Jerusalem. By Thursday, they've arrested him. Friday, they crucify him. Sunday, he comes out of the grave. Easter, that's why this, this is called Holy Week. That's why this is the greatest harvest week. And, and, and see, well, I was talking to Kyle Wallace, our discipleship, our group's pastor, and I said, I don't understand why a lot of the young adults don't like the topic of hell. And he said, because many of them are second-generation Christians. See, you were a first-generation Christian, Chris, and they're second-generation. So here's the deal. When I, was, when I was out there running the world, I saw hell. Anybody with me? 
I smelled hell. I watched hell kill my friends. I watched marriages. I watched people overdose. And guess what? 34 years later after Jesus, I'm still seeing hell. I'm watching the fingerprints of the demonic. I watch marriages be destroyed. I'm still watching people overdose and people commit suicide and people's lives devastated. Are y'all with me? And so we can never ignore that. I, I was, was, was in a garage with a friend of mine, Tim Williams, just, just a couple days ago working on a car. And a lady came in, and, and her name was Gloria. And, and as she began to talk, she said, I'm sick. And that, I, she wasn't actually talking to me, and my ears perked up. And, and she said, the doctors have given me 12 months to 24 months to live. And I said, well, tell me what you have. She said, I have cancer, I have stage 4, and it's, it's moved. It's, and now it's in my lungs, and they've given me chemo, radiation, everything. The doctors have said, there's nothing else we can do. You're going to die. And I said, well, first let me ask you a question. Do you, do you have a church family? She said, no. I said, you need a church family. See, you need, a, you, need the, you need the fellowship, the camaraderie. You need the support that a church offers. I said, and let me ask you another question. Tell me about you and the Lord. If somebody looks at you and say, I've got 12 months to live, you better talk to them about Jesus. Now, the fact of the matter is the Bible says none of us are promised tomorrow. So you've only got today. So we need to get busy today, and what hell does is it makes us busy today. So I said, Let me, can I pray for you? And I prayed for her that God would heal her and give her time with her nine-year-old son, and God would, and she left in tears. And I said, listen, if you come to faith promise, we'll love you. We'll walk with you. We'll be there for you if you'll do that. And so let, let me, let me let, let's walk down, let's, let's watch a video that Jesus, that Jesus portrays for us because like the movie that we're going to see next week, the half of the story is not told on the movie. A, we couldn't shoot it at night, and the whole movie happened at night. It's going to be way worse than what you see. But if you ever read a book and then you go to the movie, the movie's all is rarely ever as good as the book. Would you all agree with that? Because Hollywood, with all its technology, cannot do what you can do up here. So let's, let's watch a video, 3D, high-def video that Jesus gives us of hell. In Luke chapter 16, there was a certain rich man. He habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. This guy was so consumed with this world, he never thought about the world to come. So consumed with what he was doing, he never thought that there was an eternity. And a poor man named Lazarus, who was laid at his gate covered with sores, longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Now, by the way, I forgot to say this in any of the other services. But when Jesus gives names, it's not a parable. This is not a parable. This is reality. Are you with me? When Jesus starts naming names and this is who and that's who, it's real. Longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table, and besides even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. In where? In hell. He lifted up his eyes. Being in what? And he saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue for I am in what? In this. Now who's, who's speaking? Jesus. But Abraham said, child, remember that during your life you received good things, and Lazarus, bad things. 
But now he has been comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great chasm fixed, so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able, and that none may cross over from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, in order that he may warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. And Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But he said, No, Father Abraham, if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they will not listen to Moses and to the prophets, they will not be persuaded, even though someone rises from the what? So what I want to do, I'm going to give you five quick thoughts, and then we're going to gather around the table and celebrate. So here's, here's thought number one. Jesus taught and believed in hell. Did Jesus ever make a theological error? Excuse me? So we don't like hell, but, but we see that Jesus was the number one proponent and the teacher of it. Verse 22 and 23. The poor man died, was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom, and the rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades lifted up his eyes, being in torment. So two people die, one go to hell, one goes to heaven. Hell is the forgotten concept in the church in America. Of recent surveys, less than 50% of Americans believe in hell, and less than 6% believe that they would ever go there. But what does the Word of God say? Hebrews 9.27 says this, Inasmuch as it is appointed for man to what? Die once, after this comes what? Judgment. Going to die and then judgment. John 3, 3, Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, except a man be born again, he will not, he will not see the kingdom of heaven. And so the scripture is so overtly clear, and yet because we are politically correct, or we live in a politically correct culture, we're able to ignore all those things. Now, hell is a rough reality, and it's not that people are climbing for. The people don't write books on hell. They're not doing tours on hell. They're not doing all that kind of stuff, but it's still true. Are you with me? If you're listening, say I am. Number two, the second thought, Jesus exposed some of the horrors of hell. And I could jump up and down for an hour, and I'm not going to because it would be too painful. But what I do want to do is, is to expose in verses 23 and 24, Jesus said in Hades, lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham. Think about this. One of the horrors of hell is you will be there and you can see heaven, but you can never get there. Far away, and Lazarus in his bosom, and he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. In hell, there is physical pain. Now, hell was not made for people. The scripture teaches that hell was made for the devil and his angels. But as, as Adam and Eve walked away from God, they ended up where the door was open for us. Have you seen people walk away from God? Some of us have walked away from God. Some of us have invited family and friends and tried to invite them to church, and they said, no, don't have time for that. That's, not, that, that's just not for me. They've walked away. There's physical pain. Number two, there's mental pain. Jesus said, remember that in, the, or Abraham said, remember all those things that you had, all the opportunities that you had. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 and 19 says, for the wrath of God. Now, what people say is, <clears throat> I read the Old Testament and the New Testament is two different gods. It's not two different gods. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. 
So we understand the wrath from the Old Testament. We also see the wrath of God from the New Testament. It's all through there. The wrath of God against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. We will never suppress the truth at Faith Promise Church, either whether it is popular or not. Amen? We're going to stand on truth here. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident. Said people saw it and they ignored it. They saw the witness of God. They ignored the witness of God and they went their own way. Verse 32, the end of that chapter of Romans 1. And although they knew the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same thing that those wicked people did, but they give hearty approval to those who practice. We live in a culture that gives hearty approval to doing things contrary to the Scripture. We live in a culture where they call evil good and good evil. We live in a culture where it doesn't matter what you want, you can have it. We live in a day of excuses. Nothing is ever my fault, is it? It is never my fault. You know, when I was a kid, if someone, if someone was an alcoholic, they called them a drunk. But see, we've cleaned up the language now, haven't we? So it's no longer drunk. It's someone has the disease of alcoholism. They have the, they, they're, not, they're not a drug addict. They are a substance abuser. See, we've cleaned up the language, and it's not really my fault anyway, is it? And so we all walk around making excuses for everybody because it's nobody's fault. Well, if I haven't done anything wrong and it's not my fault, I don't have to worry about hell because anything I did wasn't about me, right? Isn't that our culture? Think about it. Think about what's going on. We live, it's going to be not only physical pain, not only mental pain, but it's going to be, it's going to be emotional pain. There is no way out. Verse 26, he said that no way that anybody can go from here to you and nobody can come from you over to here. They've already passed up the door of escape. They've already had an opportunity and they said no to God. They missed the gospel. They were preoccupied. They were busy. How many of you have invited or tried to talk to somebody to the Lord and they said, I'll deal with that later. Later, alligator. Man, I, I'll deal with that later. Missing the opportunity. For a, over 100 years, Noah built the boat and preached. Preached and preached and preached and preached. Finally, God said, the boat's the built, get in it, and God closed the door. They had their last opportunity. Noah didn't close the door. God did. God did. And you know what the people for 100 years did? They flipped God off. You know what many of our family and friends in our culture is doing right now? They're flipping God off. And then they say, if God is good, he can't send anybody to hell. He can't send anybody to hell. It doesn't matter that I've rejected the gospel. It doesn't matter that Jesus died for me. I don't want to do that. I can do whatever I want. And God certainly can't send anybody to hell because he's a good God. Is that a, is that a contortion of the truth? But that's what our culture believes, gang. And we've got, we are the lights of the world. A city set upon a hill cannot be hidden. We're the lights. We're the salt. We are the one waving the red flag. We're the one with the warning sign. Amen? We got to get busy. Number three, Jesus exposes the people that are in hell. In verse 26, and he, he's, besides all this, there's a good, that those who wish to come over from here to you and that those that want to come from where you are in hell to us cannot. See, this is what we believe. If you're listening, say I am. I know who's going to hell. Bad people are going to hell. 
ISIS fighters. They're going to hell. People that will walk in a room and pull a ripcord and blow themselves up and children. They're evil. They're going to hell. Despicable, wicked, vile, horrible, terrible people are going to hell. That's not what the Bible says. What the Bible says is, if you're not born again, you're not going. That's what it says. And so the deal, we're talking about people that we love. People that mow their yard and people that take their kids to school and people that pay their taxes and people that are good to their neighbors, but they've never been born again. Oh, no, no, those are good people. See, only bad people are going, you don't get to make the rules. Revelation 20, verse 15, Jesus said, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of what? Jesus said that. And so there are crowds, man, there are all these people, all these people. And then let me give you number the fourth thought. This is the most brutal thought for me. Jesus shows the burden that lies in hell. Look at verse 27 and 28. And he said, when the rich man realized I'm in hell forever and there's no way out, there's nothing that can be done for me, Right? Then he said, then I beg you, Father Abraham, send to my father's house, for I have five brothers in order that he may warn them. Send Lazarus so that, so that my brothers will not come to this place of torment. Hey, hey, Father Abraham, listen, wait a minute. This is important. Get busy. Send somebody. Get organized. Come on, you got to do something. My brothers are going to die and go to hell. Can I tell you, in hell they have a burden. My question is this, why doesn't the church have that burden like they do in hell? Why aren't we infected and infected and filled with a burden for people that will spend forever separated from God if we don't tell them? I did a funeral, and, and most of the funerals I do today are for long-standing sort of the founders of Faith Promise and most of the other pastors do that funerals. And I did a, was a young man, didn't go here, mother and dad went here really knew he probably went to hell. Now, I'm going to tell you what, there's a lot of difficult things about ministry, but I don't know anything more difficult than doing a funeral when you believe the person that's laying there in front of you at casket is probably already there. It's terrible. Watching a mom and dad weep, and in that, at the graveyard, this one, at the graveyard, at the graveside, I said, if so-and-so could speak, he'd tell everybody here to be saved. His brother, furious, said, no, he wouldn't. I said, oh, yes, he would. Because in hell, they're burdened. It's too late. Let me tell you, church, we've only got today. We've only got today. We're not promised that we're going to make it to Wednesday in the first Easter service. Let me read a poem that I've used before that rocked my world. My friend, I stand in judgment now, and I feel that you're to blame somehow. On earth, I walked with you day by day, but never did you point the way. You knew the Lord in truth and glory, but never did you tell the story. My knowledge then was very dim. You could have led me, saved him. And though we lived together on earth, you never told me of the second birth. And now I stand this day condemned because you failed to mention him. You taught me many things. That's true. I called you friend and I trusted you. But I learned now that it's too late. You could have kept me from this fate. We walked by day and taught by night, and yet you showed me not the light. You knew. You, you See, yeah. You let me live and love and die. You knew I'd never live on high. 
I called you friend and trusted you through joy and strife. And yet on coming to this end, I cannot now call you my friend. Matthew 25, Jesus teaches. He is going to separate everybody that's ever lived. The goats will be on his left. The sheep will be on his right. We who are sheep that have been forgiven will watch people that we knew. And they will be consigned and conscripted to a Christless, horrible, hopeless hell. And we will watch. And we will remember all the opportunities that we had to share Jesus. You say, but wait a minute. The Bible says there's no tears in heaven. No, that's not what it says. What it says is after the beam of seat of judgment and the marriage supper of the Lamb, then Jesus will wipe away every tear. There's going to be some tears when we realize what we could have done and we didn't. This is why I push you, church. This is why I get out of bed in the morning. This is why I drive you sometimes like pack mules. I get it. I know I'm a driver. I know that. But the hell is real, and our family and friends are going there. We are not going to stop until when we're, going to, when we're dead, then we're done. We cannot be distracted from the mission or the commission. Jesus said that we are to go to all the ethnos, all the ethnicities, all the nations of the world, teaching them and baptizing them. We are to, we are to get the message out. Listen, the only thing going to heaven is people. Your well-manicured yard is not going to heaven. Your clothes, ladies, your shoes, and your purses, they're not going the Corvettes and planes and trains and boats and toys, they're not going. Your 401K, it's not going. Now, there's nothing wrong with those things. And I was working on a car when I got to witness to Gloria. The deal is do all the stuff that you do. Take Jesus with you. Be the salt and light everywhere you go. Because everywhere you go, there's people that need God. And if you'll just wake up and just pull your head out of a self-absorbed life and look around, you'll see people all around you that need to be loved on. All around you need to be cared for. They're all around us. Let me give you number five. Oh, I could, we, I could preach. I could preach three months out of this one passage. There's a cross that's in front of hell. In verse 31, he said, let's take out Moses and the prophets. Let him hear Lynn. No, 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 no. But if someone would come back from the dead, they'd be persuaded someone did come back. His name is Jesus. He walked in on Palm Sunday. He was tortured. I mean, he was he he, he sweat drops of blood on Thursday night, arrested. He was crucified on Friday. He arose on Easter Sunday morning, and he is praying for you and loving us and moving in our lives this morning at Faith Promise Church. Easter's about rescuing us. So, so here's the deal. At funerals, I've done, I mean, I've done tons of funerals. Used to do a lot. Don't do as much anymore. Thank the Lord. But I've been at so many funerals that somebody's walked up and said, hey, pastor, where's my papa? Where's my mother? Where's my little brother? Where are they right now? Listen, it's too late to ask where they are when they're in a box. It's too late to ask. It's too late to invite them to church. It's too late to share the gospel with them. It is too late when they've taken the last breath. Are y'all with me? It's just too late. So who... Are you bringing Easter? He said, man, you're pulling out the big guns, Pastor. You better believe it. I make no apology for it. Listen, if everybody in the building got up and walked out, I I have got to preach the truth. Amen. It doesn't matter. So there's a couple, Aaron and Kate Johnson, and they, 
they actually, they've been at Faith Promise literally since the day this church started, and they had a couple beautiful girls. And their, their older daughter, who was, I think she was in middle school when she wrote this, she sent this to me about prodigals, and, I said, I, and so I said, I want to use this. You may not know this, but I, it truly breaks his heart. To see you run away, to see you fall apart. I thought I could run away from him, I said, only for a minute. But then I ended up gone for days and didn't come back. I didn't. God tried to tell me something. He told me to come back home, but I wouldn't listen to him. I decided to stay on my own. Then things started changing. I began to need him more. I started to miss the love that he had, and my heart began to feel sore. I started back for home, not knowing what would be there. Would he truly take me back? Would he even care? I saw a figure in the midst running to me alone. I know who it was right away. He had come to take me home. That's a young lady. That, see, that's what we're growing at Faith Promise right there. Those are the hearts we're growing in this church. And she said, I dedicated this poem to the prodigals that found their way back home at Faith Promise Church. Do we still care about people far from God, Faith Promise? Does it still matter to us? So here's what we do. In Numbers chapter 16, I saw this a week ago in, my, in, my, in a Bible reading plan in my quiet time. Moses talking about Aaron, God is angry, has sent a plague. He, Aaron, took his stand between the dead and the living so that the plague was checked. People that are dead today are those who are dead in trespasses and sins, haven't been born again. We who have been made alive, we who are born again are now called priests. We're a kingdom of priests unto our God, Revelation 1. And so here we are priests. Now we are to stand between the living and the dead. We are to reach out, to love, to care, to share, to minister, to move, to do everything we can do to see the dead resurrected. And that's what the gospel is. Amen? And so here's the deal. Some of you say, man, highly bummed, Pastor. I'm, man, I'm not sure where I'm going. Well, let's nail her down. Let's get her done. Amen? Let's get her done. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Now is acceptable time. So if you're ready to repent, if you're ready to turn around, and you said, are you trying to scare the hell out of me? Oh, if I could. <laughs> if I could, I really would. But if you're not sure, you're ready to say yes to Jesus. You're ready to say, man, I, I want him with every head bowed and every eye closed. We're going to pray a confessional prayer with you. Say, dear Jesus, I know that I've sinned, and I'm so sorry. I don't want to go to hell. I want to be in heaven with you. Come into my heart. I confess you as my Lord. You died for me, paid for my sins, and you rose from the grave. And now by faith, I will follow you forever in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, somebody give him some praise. Come on. Now. At every, at every campus, if the praise teams would go ahead and make their way out, all of our campuses, you guys make your way out. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to begin to worship. I'm going to pray in just a second. We're going to stand, and here's the deal. Will you just gather around, grab a cracker, and say, Thank you, Jesus, for your body broken on the cross. Take that grape juice. Say, Thank you, Jesus, 
for your blood that was spilled for me on the cross. Because that blood was spilled, though your sins be scarlet, they shall white it be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Nobody was as dark as me, and when I was born again, God covered every bit of my sin. And if you're ready to celebrate some of that, I don't, listen, it doesn't matter if you got saved 20 seconds ago or you got saved 60 years ago. We serve a God who's still saving, still healing, and still moving. God, we love you, and we're going to celebrate you, and we're going to worship around your table. Thank you, God, for the sacrifice. Lord Jesus, thank you that you went all the way. You didn't quit part of the way. You didn't give up in the garden as you sweat drops of blood. You didn't quit when they tried to call you down off that cross, but you went all the way across the threshold of death for us. You paid for our sins, and holy Jesus, we love you. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, somebody shout his name. Let's stand and let's worship. <laughs>